All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Thank you, Trav. We're going to go through most of chapter 4. I wanted Trav just to focus on those verses as he read it. I want to start off this evening just by sharing with you guys a short story. I tried to ride a motorcycle for the first time in my life this summer. Almost immediately, I crashed into a curb. I was thrown off the motorcycle. I rolled through and crushed my neighbor's plants. And one of my first thoughts was, oh good, I'm okay. I don't hurt very bad. Well, when I looked down, there was blood just gushing out of my leg. And I had to go to the ER for the second time in a year and get stitches. And there's a nasty scar that you'll be able to see this summer when I'm wearing shorts again. This, this experience, it humbled me. It made me think less of myself. And that part of it was a good thing. What if I told you that for you to become most like Jesus possible, you have to be humble. There is pride in all of our hearts that are keeping us right now, right now, from being the most like Jesus possible. King Nebuchadnezzar is going to show us that this is the case in his life. And God, through the story of his life, is going to show us how we can become more humble than we are right now. So this text is a really sweet gift to us, if it helps us become more humble than we are right now. So we start with Nebuchadnezzar in verse 4. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Let's stop right there. 
Not many of you probably identify with Nebuchadnezzar as we read these stories. At this point, I think we should. There's a lot of hardships going on in our lives, as I've talked to many of you. But compared to most of the people in the world today, and most of the people who have lived in history, we have lives of ease. And one thing that having ease in our lives causes to happen, and we see this again and again in scripture, is we stop depending on God. So as we listen to what the scripture text says to us, we should be asking ourselves, in what ways am I like Nebuchadnezzar, and in what ways do I need to turn and be humble like he was humble? So he's at ease in his house, and prospering in his palace, and he says, I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. You might say, well, hold on, wait a second. This happened before, didn't it, in chapter 2? He had a bunch of dreams, and he became humble. And what happened after that? He became proud again. And then he threw Daniel and his friends into the fire, and they survived, and he became humble. And then he became proud again. We see his life as like a roller coaster ride. It's an up and a down. It's a, he becomes prideful, and he becomes humble. And what this was was a reminder to me that as we make disciples and walk with people from a life of sin to a life of obeying and loving Jesus, it is a bumpy, long process. And none of us should be discouraged if someone originally says, I love Jesus, and there's a season of backsliding and doubt and fear, and then they repent again. That's Discipleship 101. We see this in Nebuchadnezzar's life, and God is so patient with him. He didn't have to send him another dream. He didn't have to start humbling him again. And yet he does. And yet he does. And he wants us to be as patient with others right now. I, there's a few people in my life right now that God's asking me to be patient with and wait as he humbles them and draws them to himself. And I need to not lose hope. And we need to not lose hope and keep praying for and just urging those people to come to Christ. Come to Christ. He's there. He's waiting for you. So he has these dreams. So he makes a decree that all the, he says, So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought to me, that they may make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in. And I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar had seen in Daniel that the God of Israel is the only one true God. He saw that the gods of his nation were false and lesser than our God. And yet he turned back to his sin. He does not go to Daniel. He goes to the men of Babylon. He does not want to be under the authority of this God who demands holiness and humility from him. He wants his false gods so he can live however he wants to live. He wants them to tell him his dream. He wants them to tell him the interpretation. But this dream, it comes from God, and God's going to be the only one who can interpret it. These false gods will not help them. Our false gods will not help us. At last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirits of the holy gods. 
and I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magici magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw, and their interpretation. So he still uses Daniel's Babylonian name for him. He sees Babel Daniel as under the authority of those gods. Yet, he's had experiences with Daniel where he knows that there's something special about him. There's a special power that's upon Daniel's life that isn't like the other men of Babylon. And so he calls to him and he confides in him this dream. And my hope for us, church, is that as we have communion with God, other people would recognize the uniqueness in our life of his power at work in us and his love flowing through us. And like King Nebuchadnezzar comes to Daniel and asks him for help, your unbelieving friends and neighbors and family and co-workers would come and ask you for help and give you opportunities like these to tell other people about God and make his name great like Daniel is about to. So now we get into his dream. It's going to take about 10 verses to share what the dream is. And like Hebrew scriptures, it's going to repeat, and it's going to come back, and it's going to tell us the dream again, and it's going to tell us the interpretation. So instead of us reading through these next few verses, I'm just going to summarize the dream for us. And then we'll get into it more specifically as we walk through the text. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of a tree. It grows large and it grows tall. It shelters other animals and it provides for them food. Now, for careful readers of the Bible, this is actually going to bring to mind something from before. It's going to bring to mind the tree of life. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream where he sees something like the tree of life, sheltering other living beings and providing life to them. However, there's an unexpected development. An angel from heaven comes down. In the text, it's called a watcher or a holy one. Those are other words for spiritual beings. And it's going to cut down that tree. But it's going to leave the stump. And there's going to be a protective shell around the stump. And then the dream gets a little weird. Because it says that the tree that got cut down should be given the mind of an animal and that, that it should go dwell among the animals and eat grass and live in the dew of the grass until finally that tree that's been cut down acknowledges that there's only one God in heaven who sets over the kingdoms of the earth whomever he will. I would be a Nebuchadnezzar. I'd be like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And as we unlock these symbols, as we unlock this imagery, what we're going to find is that these things are not actually less real than the world, than the things that we can see and touch and feel in front of us. They're actually more real. They're more real because they show us what's most real. What these images are showing us are the things that are true about God and ourselves and other people, things that we would just miss unless he told them to us. So these images, these visions are actually great gifts to us. And even though they're confusing and hard, we should receive them graciously because God wants to tell us things through them. What God's good purpose was behind them was to humble the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. 
okay? He wanted him to receive this vision and dream and for him to humble himself. Now, what we're going to find is that he doesn't, and God actually brings a painful circumstance to humble Nebuchadnezzar. So the warning is this, as I preach. As you listen to God's truth, like Nebuchadnezzar heard God's truth, please humble yourself now. Because what the text shows us is that if we will not humble ourselves now, God will often humble us with a painful circumstance. So let's listen to what he has to say in this text. Let's humble ourselves now instead of him humbling us later. Verse 19. This is um, Daniel after the dream has been told. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Friends, are you shocked and astonished at Daniel's response to this dream? We should be shocked. If you remember the history of what happened here, Nebuchadnezzar is public enemy number one of God and his people. He sent his armies into Daniel's homeland and destroyed it. He destroyed their beloved temple. Daniel probably lost friends and family members to this man. He probably killed people Daniel knows. Now, if there was someone who was so evil and had killed people you loved and dragged you into slavery in another country, and you had a dream that God was about to bring them low, wouldn't you rejoice a little bit? Honestly, I think I would. Because I have enemies who have done less to me than Nebuchadnezzar have, and I sinfully rejoice when bad things happen to them. What is Daniel? How does he respond? He's dismayed. So much so that Nebuchadnezzar notices it and says, Daniel, don't be alarmed. Just tell me what you saw or what this means. And Daniel says, may this interpretation be for someone else. And as far as I can tell, he meant that from his heart. Daniel loved Nebuchadnezzar, his enemy. Daniel loved his enemies. He's a picture for us of the long-suffering of Jesus, who loves us, who treat him like enemies. And he's a picture of who God wants to make us into as a people, a people who loves our enemies, who harm us and who sin against us like we harm and sin against Jesus, yet he continues to forgive and forgive and forgive. So I want to ask you right now, who is one person who has harmed you recently, who has brought you pain recently? Who is one person who you feel tempted to respond to as an enemy? God is calling us to respond to that person like Daniel responds in this situation. Let us love our enemies well. Because when we love our enemies well, we get a chance to testify to who God is. And that's what we're going to see here. Now we get into the interpretation. Verse 20. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, 
so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. So Daniel's very specific. The tree is Nebuchadnezzar. The tree in the vision is King Nebuchadnezzar. Now why would God call Nebuchadnezzar a tree? It's kind of strange. And why would he call him something that's like the tree of life? I think the reason is that the tree of life in the garden was a picture of what God wants people to be. God upholds the tree of life, and the tree gives life to others. There's an upholding, a sustaining of that tree, and the tree gives life to others. And that's a beautiful thing. That's how we got designed Adam and Eve. God wanted to uphold them and for them to trust him, and for that beautiful life to spread to other people through them as they depend and as they trust in him. But as we go further in the vision, we see that that ideal is distorted. It's, it's like a dream that gets weird. It gets distorted and oblong and, and out of shape. We see this in the next few phrases. The tree which you saw and which grew and became strong so that its top reached heaven. You see that word strong, it became strong. That word can be translated, becomes arrogant. So, the tree of life, right? God's sustaining the tree. Okay, to be arrogant is to stop depending on God. It became strong so that its top reached to heaven. Okay, so its top reached to heaven. The story in the Bible that this should be bringing to mind, something whose top is reaching to heaven, is the Tower of Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, when people came together and tried to make a kingdom apart from God, without depending on God, and against God. The point of this vision so far is that Nebuchadnezzar had become less like God meant for people to be, and more like the people who had created the Tower of Babel. He had stopped depending on God, and had started trying to be God. And how is God going to respond? He's going to send an angel who's going to come down and humble him. Now, I want to ask us four questions. I want to ask four questions right now. And these four questions are going to try to help us determine in what ways we have stopped depending on God and started trying to be God. And what do I mean by being God? What I mean by being God is God doesn't need anyone or anything to sustain himself. So when we act like we don't need anyone or anything but ourselves to sustain ourselves, we start to act like Nebuchadnezzar. We stop depending on God in humble submission, and we start trying to be God. Now, these, if these questions ring true, I want to let you know that I'm yes in these things from time to time, too. Question one. 
do you ever go whole days without reading your Bible or praying? Question two, do you neglect church gatherings or close relationships with other Christians? Question three, do you decide what is right and wrong for yourself rather than listening to God's word? And question four, I want to especially phrase this one to anyone who's not yet a follower of Jesus who's here with us today. And we are very glad you're here with us. Are you trusting someone or something other than Jesus to make you right with God? These are some specific ways that we subtly drift from depending on God to trying to be independent of him, to trying to be him. And what is the result? What is the result of when we drift from God like this? We see in verse 23. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is his interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you will be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time will pass over you, till you shall know that the Most High rules the kingdom of heaven and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the trees, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. We know from elsewhere in the scripture that God opposes the pride. So there is judgment coming for Nebuchadnezzar because of this pride. This is there's judgment coming for me and coming for you because of our pride if we don't turn from it. We need to acknowledge the warnings of scripture when it gives us warnings. But what should be so striking about this judgment is the sweet mercy in the midst of it. You see the mercy in the midst of this judgment? There's actually going to be a stump left over. And there's going to be a protective shield around that stump. And the purpose of this judgment is not that Nebuchadnezzar would perish. It's not so that he would be lost. It's not so that he wouldn't know God. It's actually the exact opposite. It's so that he would acknowledge that God reigns in heaven. It's so that he would acknowledge that God gives the kingdom to whoever he wills. So God is going to lower King Nebuchadnezzar from the level of the king of the world to an animal of the field. And it will be a severe and harsh judgment for him. And yet it will also be a severe mercy for him. God's discipline and judgments before final judgments are severe mercies that are meant to save and rescue people. Now Daniel responds again with his heart of love. Therefore, O king, verse 27, let my counsel be acceptable to you. 
from the time that you know that heaven. Therefore, King, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel knows that God's heart is merciful. He knows that if Nebuchadnezzar turns from his sin, God will also turn from his judgment. If you will today turn from your sin, God will turn from his judgment. That's right. And he says to him, I actually don't want this to happen to you. So I'll tell you what. Turn from your unrighteousness. Start showing mercy to the oppressed and the weak. And your reign is going to lengthen. God's mercy to you is going to increase. That is really good news. That is really good news. So I just want to invite you today to think about, God, what sin do you want me to turn from? What person who is weak and needs mercy do you want me to show mercy to in my life? In what ways am I being selfish and not helping other people who you put in my path to help and show mercy to? When you do that, God is ready and willing and wanting to increase even his blessing and love and presence in your life. This is good news in the midst of judgment, this verse. This is good news. Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power and as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. So Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't harden his heart, or he doesn't soften his heart, he hardens it. He doesn't listen to Daniel, he turns from God. And in his prosperity, he thinks he doesn't need God. I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you are with me that prosperity is as great of, or even greater of, a test of our faith and suffering. Isn't prosperity a test? Your prosperity may actually be a test like no other test you face in your life. Having food when you want it, having a house when you want it, having a TV when you want it, having basically all the necessities of life whenever you want it, have a tendency to make us forget that we need God. The prosperity in this country, which is a gift from God because of our sinful hearts, is also a dangerous thing. Yeah. How many of us, I wonder, are in a season of prosperity right now and forgetting our desperate need for God and starting to act and live like Nebuchadnezzar? God's asking us to wake up. Yeah. If you're slumbering, wake up. If you're forgetting that you need God, wake up. I need to wake up. There are ways in my life I am not depending on him like I need to. So just wake up to the reality that every breath we take, every moment we're alive, we need his grace, we need his help, we need his love. Every moment we need him. Here's one quote I want to read from a man named Jeremiah Burroughs. You do not find one godly man who came out of an affliction worse than he went into it. 
though for a while he was shaken, yet at last he was better for an affliction. But a great godly man you will find have been worse for their prosperity. Church, let's beware of prosperity more than affliction. It is a test. Verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as an eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. What an image we have here. What this image shows us, church, is that when we live like we don't need God, we are out of our minds. We have lost our minds. There is actually nothing crazier you could ever do than go through your life living as if you don't need God. Because one day Jesus is going to come back and everyone who's living as if they never need him, their thought will be, what have I done? What have I done? And so... We just need to recognize how foolish, how crazy it is to live as if we don't need God when he is literally upholding us every single moment. When Nebuchadnezzar goes out to the field, says he uh, goes out for seven periods of time. I'm not sure what seven periods of time is. Other than that seven is the number of perfection and or completion. So it seems to me that this is going to be the complete amount of time God needs to humble him. He's out there long enough for God to fulfill his purpose to humble him. But it must be a long time because his hair becomes like eagle feathers and his fingernails turn into bird's claws. Like, this is a long time. And what this shows us is that Nebuchadnezzar's attempt to exalt himself actually led to his descent. Be careful. Our heart's tendency in the world's message is that we should exalt ourselves, but what happens when we exalt ourselves is we actually get judged and begin to act out of sin and we descend. The best example of this is Adam and Eve in the garden. God told them, Depend on me. Don't eat that fruit. I can tell you what's right and wrong. A beast of the field comes into the garden and tells them, become like God. You don't need him. Eat that fruit. After they eat that fruit, they descend into acting like animals. If you read the, the book of Genesis, the way their children treat one another, it's animal-like. They kill each other. They hurt each other. They do all sorts of unthinkable things to each other. And I propose that the moments that you treat other people the worst are the moments where you think the most of yourself. 
And when you see other people treating other people in atrocious, awful ways, it is often because they've come to have an exalted view of themselves. Pride feels a little good, but when you see it for what it is, it's actually ugly. It's despicable. It's gross. And Nebuchadnezzar's body is a picture of what's happening to our souls when we embrace a pride against our Lord. So how can we escape this pride? How can we escape this evil infection? Verse 34 says, At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. And my reason returned to me. Nebuchadnezzar was fixated on his kingdom and his life. Nebuchadnezzar was fixated on this field. Finally, he recognizes it. There's someone who's bigger than me, better than me, wiser than me. And he acknowledges him, and his attention goes to God. It's the first time we see him humble himself in the story. He becomes aware of the majesty and the greatness of God. And the very moment he begins to acknowledge God, the very second he lowers himself, what happens to him? He starts to go up. His reason returns to him. The second he acknowledges God, God starts to lift this sinful man up out of the dirt. If you're low right now in your sin, if you're low right now in your pain, in your depression, in your misery, the second you lift your eyes to God, he will start to lift you up. Just like he did to this man who deserved nothing less. You might say to yourself, I don't deserve to be lifted up. I don't deserve to be raised out of this muck of my sin. Well, neither did Nebuchadnezzar. That's how our God is. Now, this man who did not deserve God's mercy receives God's mercy. And then he speaks this beautiful song, this beautiful poem. And I bless the Most High and praise and honor him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven. And none of the inhabitants of the earth can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Nebuchadnezzar recognizes to be the most important thing in the world. He is not in control. God is in control. I need to be reminded of this. I am not in control. I try to live like I am. I try to act like I am. I freak out when it doesn't seem like I am because I'm forgetting that God is in control. He says, no one can stay his hand. God does whatever he wants to. He's in control of who's in control. Not an event has ever happened in the history of the world that God has not wanted to happen. He can stop whatever he wants. He can stop whoever he wants. Or no one can say to him, what have you done? He's wise. God is the most wise king ever. He's never made a mistake. 
is no one's ever said to him, you screwed up, because he's never screwed up. Amen. And he never will screw up. So when you see the, think, the change of the thinking in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, if we go back to chapter 3, verse 15, he said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Nebuchadnezzar thinks his hands are in control. His hands are in charge. But then he recognizes the truth. No one can stay God's hand. His hands are in control. He does what he chooses. If you're going to depend on God, instead of trying to be God, you have to have good reasons to be able to depend on him. If you're going to actually let go of you being in charge of the world and let him be in charge of the world, you have to have good reasons to let him do that. Here's one good reason. He's actually all-powerful, unlike us. Unlike us, he has no problems running the universe. Not one. He never breaks a sweat. He never has a problem sleeping at night because he's nervous. He has 100% authority over all things at all times. This is someone you can depend on with your life. There's another reason we can trust our God and depend on him that I actually think is even better than this reason, an even better reason. This is a good reason, but there's an even better reason. If you turn back to verse... 17. This is the part of the dream that I described. We didn't actually read these verses yet. It says, The sentence is by decree of the watchers, the decision of the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will, and sets over it, here it is, the lowliest of men. God's desire is that his king who rules over the world would be a lowly and a humble man, not a proud man like Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar failed to be this man. Every other ruler and person in history has failed to be this man. Except for one. God sent Jesus in the world to be the king who will and does rule over his creation. He is the king who is unlike, who's better than Nebuchadnezzar and better than all of us. And friends, I just want to hear you to hear these words from Matthew chapter 11. This is how Jesus talks about himself. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Even though Jesus is the highest king, the king above all other kings, his heart is the lowest and humblest of all of our hearts. 
Perhaps you had a stern father or someone in authority mistreated you in your past and it is hard for you to trust God. And I just want to remind you that Jesus isn't like that. He has a humble heart. He has a lowly heart. He never has and he never will mistreat anyone. I just want us to remember right now the moment he became king. The moment Jesus became king. Usually when someone becomes king, there's a parade and a coronation and a throne and a party. The moment Jesus became king, he was lifted up onto a cross of wood. Nailed to it. Naked. Suffered for us. Suffered in order to make a people who were not his people, his people. If you ever doubt if Jesus is trustworthy, if you ever doubt if he's gentle and lowly, look no further than this moment. This is the second and better reason that we can trust Jesus. Because he is gentle and lowly. And will never mistreat us and never hurt us in a way that is wrong. What's one takeaway from this? If there are people you know who provoke your pride, who make it hard for you to be gentle and lowly with them, you know, some people have that special ability to draw that up, those responses out of us. Before you go and talk to that person, just take a moment and remember how your king became king. He became king by giving himself for me. And that's how he wants me to live and act in relationship to others. So Nebuchadnezzar recognizes this, sees this, and praises God. And I just want to say as far as Jesus' words come to me, all you who labor are heavy laden, it's an invitation to all of us, those who trust in Christ, come to him afresh today with your trust. Come to him afresh today with your love. Come to him afresh today with your burdens. And for those of you who don't know Jesus yet, who don't follow him yet, come to him for the first time. Put your trust in him. Put your trust in him that what happened on the cross when he became king was for you. So that God could completely forgive you right now where you're at, who you are, acceptance that's 100% final before you do a thing. That's what it means to come and rest. You don't have to work to get it. It's a gift that God delights to give to you. I mentioned earlier that when we try to exalt ourselves, God lowers us and we lower ourselves. And when we humble ourselves, God exalts us. And that's what we're gonna see here at the end of this chapter. At the same time, my reason returned to me. This is verse 36. And for the glory of the kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. 
My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar was finally humbled, and God elevated him, not only to where he was, but higher still. There are two paths in life. We can live now for ourselves, exalting self, and we will be on a downward trajectory, sadly, forever, in judgment and separation from God. Or we can humble ourselves now, repent of our sin, follow God, and rule and reign in his world with him forever. And continue to be raised up higher and higher by him forever. And one of the beautiful things is that as we humble ourselves right now, God begins to exalt us even now in this life. Even now, he'll begin to lift you up. What do I mean by that? I don't mean like the world means, because the world will think that if you're rich and famous or powerful, God is lifting you up. But what it looks like right now to be lifted up is to be filled with more of God. Have more opportunities to tell other people about him, like Daniel did. God is lifting up Daniel here, and he has this great chance to tell Nebuchadnezzar about his God. And because of him, who knows, maybe we will meet Nebuchadnezzar in heaven one day. It will feel like joy in God in your heart that cannot be explainable from your circumstances. It will look like spiritual gifts operating in your life. So it will feel like when God begins to lift you up. Deep relationships with other Christians. Deep relationships with unbelievers. So it feels like when God begins to raise you up as you humble yourself under his hand right now. And that's what I want for all of us. I want us to feel God lift us up as we continue to give more of ourselves to him and humble ourselves. So to tie it all together, to share with you one more time my main burden with us. Depend on God. Don't try to be him. Depend on God. Don't try to be him. Family, let's pray together. Lord, I am freshly blown away right now by how good you are. That you would provide a path upward for people who don't deserve it. Please help no sin, no pride, no sense of self-importance to keep any of us from humbling ourselves. That God, you might forgive us and raise us up. I pray that we would experience that right now as we worship. Let us humble, become humble, become lower to new levels of humility. And may we feel you give us more of yourself than ever before. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.